Hey, welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Check us out on the web at missiodeschicago.com. Um, you guys so much. Uh, we are excited about this morning. I'm, I'm very excited. Uh, we are starting a new series today uh, called Alchemy of Joy. Uh, so looking forward to talking about joy over the next several weeks. Who has more joy in their life? Anybody? Yeah. Yeah. So you're... I, I've never met, I don't know if you've, like joy is a very universal thing. Uh, it's something that everybody wants. I don't think if you ask someone on the street and you're like, hey, um, would you like more joy? They're like, no, it's okay. I have enough. It's okay. I have enough of that right now in my life. I'm very serious. Uh, I thought since in the spirit of uh, Halloween, uh, I thought I'd mention that uh, Yellowstone National Park is keeping secrets from us. Um, area, uh, 50 now area called the zone of death. It's, des- it's desolate, there's no roads, there's no human um, inhib- I- inhabitants at all. Uh, it's due to a loophole in the Sixth Amendment. Um, you tried by a jury of your peers in the jurisdiction you commit a crime. And so a perfect crime in this zone of death, the 50-mile radius near Yellowstone National Park for two reasons. One, no one lives there. <laughs> uh, there is I think this is cutting in and out on me, right? No? It is? Okay. Eric, I, I told Eric, we're going to go with this thing until it dies. So it's not. The zone of death. Here we go. Talk about the zone of death. So under Wyoming's jurisdiction, they, have to, they haven't redrawn the lines yet. And so you can commit this perfect crime because no one lives there. You could commit a crime there. And by law, you're required to have to be tried by a jury of your peers. But no one lives there. So it's Robert Colt, notice this, a professor at University of Michigan published a paper called The Perfect Crime in the Georgetown Review. Now, before he did this, he sent this to the government authorities and said, hey, I'm about to publish this. You might want to change this. And the government does what they usually do is they did nothing. So Robert Colt published this paper, uh, and then it later became, uh, got headlines and became a fictional work, a horror film called Population Zero Zero. Anybody have seen that? I don't know. I haven't seen it. Just read this article. Now, why do I tell you that? Number one, if someone invites you to Yellowstone National Park, run. Run as fast as you can. If they're like, hey, there's this southwest part of Yellowstone National Park. I want to hang out with you. Don't go. The second reason is I believe by God's guidance and through the power of the Holy Spirit, God wants to drop down a pin in the middle of our lives this morning. And he wants to drop a pin down and let us know that there's this zone of death that exists for you and I, either subconsciously or consciously, where we have drawn a jurisdiction around our life and we have said no to all of God's goodness and his grace. That there's like this this area where we say, you know what, no thank you, I don't believe God's goodness or his grace can come in this zone and we've walled it off. And it's a place where our Christian joy gets killed. It's where our, and so as we talk about joy, today I want to do something a little different. I really want to, um, just been praying and thinking, I shared some of, some of this, uh, come here, Cord, come on, uh, shared some, I'm going to be held back, I'm kind of like, let's talk, and back here, so I got to be limited back here by the grug. Um, so uh, I gave this talk to some of our leaders Saturday, uh, Missio Day, and I just feel like this is a word for us, Missio Day, 
um, I want to talk about some of the, the four ways that we wall off God's joy, um, the four kind of zones, the zone of death that we kind of say subconsciously or consciously no to joy, um, where God wants to bring in joy. Is that cool? Um, and I believe that these are for us as a church. So uh, to launch this series, it's really like, this is a talk just really wanted to say, hey, Missio Day is a community. I feel like these are, are four areas we need to be very aware of as a community. Um, and as I've been really praying about this, I really came across this verse in Isaiah 61, and I really just want to anchor in Isaiah 61. I love this verse. Please, if you're going to memorize anything over the next five or six weeks, like memorize Isaiah 61, 1 through 4. Because this, is a, this is scripture is a prophecy of the Old Testament of Jesus. Thousands and thousands of years ago, when Jesus came on the scene doing ministry, his very first, one of his very first words was quoting this about himself and saying, the day has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is about me. To the, he says, I'm here to proclaim liberty to the captives. And the, uh, Go back a verse. I think we're missing one. Do we get? No? No? I guess it's cut out, um, but if you go back to the go back to the very beginning, we can't cut out scripture, guys. We gotta we gotta pull this up here. Here we go. Isaiah sixty-one verse one: The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, Jesus said, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news. To the poor. This, these, I love what I love about this verse too is that all proclaims our values as Missio Dei. Uh, the first value of renewal that we are here as a church to proclaim good news, that the broken will be restored and be renewed and, re- and follow Jesus. And not only that, are they to proclaim good news to the poor? He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. There's the sense of of, of our value of 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 um, freedom. That we not, when someone comes to know Jesus, not only do we pull them out of Egypt, but there's still some Egypt to get out of them, right? And so as a church, we believe very importantly that we want every single one of you to experience freedom in this place. They get the Egypt out of you that you've already been set free from, but there's still bondage, the addictions, the habits, the things that hold us captive, deliverance that's needed to happen. So we believe in the freedom of the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit here. And we believe that God, I love this because it encompasses so much. And so not only proclaim uh, freedom for the captives and release from darkness the prisoners, to proclaim uh, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, Jesus said he would, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes. I love that. To give you a new position. He wants to take you in this positional place of ashes and to give you a sense of beauty. And then he says the oil of joy for mourning. Now this is Jesus that he would be have the oil of joy upon his life. Now, I think when we think of Jesus, we don't think of Jesus as like the happiest person on earth. But what this verse is saying is the Messiah would be the happiest person on earth. Some of you are already looking at me with scowls. You don't call my Jesus happy. How dare you? Yes, because we think of Jesus as very serious and, and he's, you know, pasty white with long flowing hair. But Jesus was accused of being a drunkard and a glutton. I want you to let that sink in for a minute. He hung out with and partied with sinners that he was accused of being a drunkard and a glutton. Probably had a beer belly, but again, it was barley wine, okay? It was barley wine. Um, Non-alcoholic beer. No, I'm just kidding. Um, The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness that they may be called trees of righteousness, oaks of righteousness. He says that Jesus comes with a garment of praise, 
that we carry around the spirit of heaviness, not just heaviness, but a spirit of heaviness. And then and, and he says that the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Next verse. And they shall, this is what's going to happen when he comes, and this is when we get to participate in him, rebuild the old ruins of the cities. They shall raise up the former desolations. They shall repair the ruined cities. So when we, when we plant churches, like Missio de Edison Park, we're not just starting churches. We're building cities in heaven. We're building cities in heaven right now in Chicago by making disciples of Jesus. And they shall repair the ruined cities, be repairs of the breach, the desolations of many generations. And when I read this, I just focused on this verse. Yeah, you're good. Back to where you were. This one verse, man, it just gave me so much life. The oil of joy for mourning. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And I think in our country and in our city, our city's not really joyful right now, especially with the CPS strike and all that. I mean, we look around... We're not really a joyful city. Fall's coming means winter's coming. Well, winter's almost already here. But I believe there is not just a heaviness, but there is like a spirit of heaviness that kind of sits over people. And I believe that for, for many of us, even here, you came in here with like a, a spirit of heaviness that you don't know how to get out of. It's like, it reminds me of this book I was just reading my daughter last night called The Singer. Oh my gosh, one of my favorite, favorite authors. He was my professor, wrote a children's book. And it's about Jesus being this tradesman, but he knows he was made to sing. He was made to sing a song, the ancient song. And yet the world hater comes along and, and, he, and the singer says, I wanted to sing the world hater's song. So the enemy brings a song upon our life that just feels good some reason to sit in. And it creates this like spirit of heaviness, I believe, on us. Not just a heaviness, but like a, a stronghold of heaviness. Like a, a spirit of heaviness where we've lost our joy. But we all want to have joy, right? Like that's the human condition. We all want to experience joy. And um, I believe that as a church, one thing that we, we want to put on back the garment of praise, amen? That we want to um, be a community of praise. That if we're going to experience joy, we have to be a community that praises God, that shows gratitude to God. Not just, it, it, you can go put on a worship CD all you want by yourself, but when something happens, praise. There's a collective shout, a collective dance, a collective movement that happens when we worship together. Can somebody say amen to that? We, we would be a church of praise, that we put on the garment of praise, this, this garment that Jesus carried. Now, when we talk about joy, uh, there's a lot of things that come to mind when we think of joy. Um, I think for some of us, to be honest, joy feels like something far out that's like in a distant land that you want, but you just can't seem to grasp. And it's this ethereal thing, and like, how do you get it? For others of us, there's this hollow, gaping time in our life of uncertainty, and we feel stuck in between the already but not yet, and directions that we've gone in the past past promised us a certain sense of joy, but then we experienced that path and the joy didn't come. Others, we feel productive. Some of you are even successful in this room, and but yet you would chalk up your list of accomplishments and you wouldn't call it joy. For others in this place, you've, you've been in this place of like life's just this great project and then you're full of life and anticipation and dreaming and really excited, but the contending for joy and becoming the fullness of who God has made you to be, man, I don't know how that's ever going to happen. And so we ruminate over the questions of life. Should I leave? 
Should I go? Should I do this? Should I try something else? Should I do something new? Should I go to this company or work at this job? Should I leave this city or this or commit to that? What am I really going to do in life? And what are the criteria for joining a happy life anyway? And then we end up asking all these questions. We're so stressed out, many of us. We're so overwhelmed by life that we get paralyzed by the day-to-day monotony. Um, But I'm here to tell you, next verse, that there's uh, a sense of we are to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his court with praise in the midst of all that difficulty. You see, circumstances are not robbing our joy. Um, Even research shows that, like, circumstances aren't a great determiner of joy, that um, actually they're they're quite the opposite. Um, Research shows that you could, God forbid, any one of us could leave here and get in a car wreck and become a paraplegic. And research shows that people who do that, that experience that, look back and go, you know what, my life is happier now than it ever was, and I kind of wish this horrible tragedy happened sooner so I could learn the meaning of life. And so circumstances are not the determiner of joy. That's why it says that we should have joy in the Lord, joy, rejoice in Him. And so uh, we are to give this sense of praise. And then some of us are just miserable at our work. We're miserable at our job. Let me give you a quick, uh, you know, quick, just remove all the articles on how to be happy at work. Let me just give you the word of the Lord. Psalm 1, next verse. Serve the Lord. Oh, yeah, let's do this one. (laughs) Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And then next verse, it says this, Psalm 100, uh, well, it's not up there. Serve the Lord with gladness. My slides are all messed up today. Serve the Lord with gladness, it says. So we are to serve the Lord with gladness. Some of you are like, well, I'm not glad. <laughs> How am I supposed to do that? I want to hear to tell you that joy is a choice. It's not an emotion. And I think we get confused with emotions, which we all feel dark emotions. I love the dark emotions. I'm a three with, a f- with experience the four wing on the Enneagram sometimes and the two. I love sitting in the dark emotions. They make me feel good. And for some reason I feel close to reality. And, man, I could just sit there for a while with them. And, and I get that. That, that, we, that, that, that. I'm not saying avoid the dark emotions. But joy is a choice. It is an intentional choice that we make joy is. Joy is not, and then another thing that I've learned about joy is joy is not, um, it's not something to pursue. As I talk about joy in the series, we're going to be pressing into later on some of the practices that will help us experience joy because joy must be embodied. It must be pursued with, there must be intentionality in becoming who God's made us to be. And when we become who God's made us to be, then we will experience joy. If you pursue joy, You'll, it feels elusive. It's just like, ugh, I just kind of wanted to get like one of those yoga balls or, you know, out here. Because it's like joy feels like a big ball to me sometimes. It's like if you try to like just sit on that ball, bouncy ball, you're going to like, it feels very unstable. So joy is not pursued. Joy is found. Joy is more like that birth certificate hiding in your room somewhere when you know you have to bring it to the courthouse. And you're like, where is that social security card in my house? I know it's in here under all this paperwork. That's joy. Joy must be found, not pursued. That we are to find joy, uh, not pursued. And the good news is, is um, we have the, the hap- God is the happiest person in the universe. <laughs> so what do you think about this? Our God is the most happy, joyful person being in the universe. That that, that at his core is love and joy. That 
uh, I, you know, if you think about all the other subcategories of God, you know, sometimes God experiences anger, right? You read about that in scripture. Uh, sometimes he experiences sadness, like he grieves over Lazarus being lost, right? But what God has been showing me is all of those things are just subcategories of his love and joy. So like when Jude, my son, does something evil and like slaps a kid, <laughs> I experience wrath towards my son. But I experience wrath towards my son because I love him so much, because I want him to become a person of goodness in this world. I want to become someone like Jesus. And or someone hits my kid, I experience wrath, right? And so my wrath is a subcategory of my love. Now, same thing with God's sadness. God, when he is sad, it is because his children he has joy over experience something evil. And when us as God's children experience something evil, the children that he has joy over. Right now, he, Ze Zephaniah 3 says that he is singing and rejoicing over you right now. Just let that sink in, that your God is singing and rejoicing over you, child. You, my daughter. You, my son. And when, that, when something evil happens to his kids, he has joy over, he's sad, he's grieved. But in the end, the emotions of wrath and sadness of God will one day be no more. There will be no more chaos, no more sadness, no more pain. God one day will experience no more sadness one day when we are all made complete. Amen? So I, what I want to do is I want to kind of uh, get back to that jurisdiction of what steals our joy. And I'm, I'm, I'm not going to let this microphone steal my joy. I'm going to be excited. I'm going to preach anyway, you know. Um, and so four things I think that are stealing our joy uh, as Christians. The first one is just discontent. We're discontent. I know for myself, um, as a young pastor wanting to do ministry, getting joy from doing ministry. I remember being in cemetery, I mean seminary, um, and, and, and I was learning all these things about God. And I remember once I start to get a place where I'm really serving people, then, then I'm going to be joyful. And I remember, you know, getting my first job right in the middle of seminary and telling my parents, and they're like, well, does it pay anything? I'm like, no, not really. It doesn't, just like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches is what they're giving me right now. But they're like, oh, really? And I'm like, okay, a little bit of my joy got lost there. And I was like, you know what? Well, maybe, maybe when I'm, when I'm like, I, I, I start something new and I started a college ministry, then I'll be joyful. And then I was like, maybe when I get a, start a new church, I start a new church, then I'll experience joy. And then we started Missio de Lincoln Square. And then I realized, you know what, it's, this is great. I love what God's doing, but it's hard at times. And, you know, but still not having joy. And, you know, and I was like, well, what if, what if we get our own, a new building, right? Like finally a building with air condition. Then... Then we'll be joyful. Or what if I have more staff and we brought in Reed and Bam and friendship and camaraderie? Then I'm going to be joyful to have people to share the burden with. And then I was like, you know what? What every real church wants is a church van. When we get a church van, you're not a real church until you get a church van so that our future teenagers can make out in the back of the church van on the way to their camp, right? Then... And I realized that a lot of my joy was being set in the future. That a lot of my, I was trying to get joy in the future rather than the present day. And I realized, you know what, what if, what if, what if the gratitude is in the grind? 
just want to think about that. What if the gratitude is in the grind? What if the purpose is in the process? What if we had gratitude in the midst of the grind? You see, joy is a choice. You can't grasp for joy, but if you have gratitude, you'll experience joy. If you try to have joy in life and then be like, then I'll be grateful, you'll never have joy. But if you practice gratitude daily, then you'll have joy. And so we are in a place of, we are just discontented people, right? The one day, oh, one day when, one day when, and parents do it. We do it as parents do it all the time. I just can't wait for this little thing to start talking. Oh, if you would just start talking. Then they grow up and they're like, shut up, shut up, you, you, shut up, just sit down. Sit down and shut up right now, right? And then they get older and then they go to high school and they're like, I just wish my little kid was like, talk to me again, you know? And so we just go through these waves, right? And I have a theory called the good old days theory, right? It's like the good old days are always in the future, or they're always in the past, but why can't the good old days just be today? Like, why can't today be the good old days? Because right now, while you were in the grind, you're going to look back and be like, those were the good days. Those were the days when my kid was pooping weird stuff all over the place. And, I had a, and when I was, like, struggling with student loan debt and didn't know how to eat, those were the good old days, right? You're going to look back one day and think, So we have to stop being so discontent. And one of the culprits of discontentment is we are just looking at way too many other people. We are on social media comparing ourselves. Comparison is the thief of joy. It's the thief of joy, church. That when we are looking, you know, get your models all day long, but you are the only you God made. When you get to heaven, no one's going to look at you. No one's going to look at, you know, you, Eric, and be like, you know, if you're like, why wasn't I more like this other sound guy, this other engineer? No, because like, why weren't you more like Eric, right? Like, like no one can be who you aren't. You are, you are you. Like, some of you are like, I just wish I was as nice as Oprah. I'm like, God's not even as nice as Oprah. Come on. Like, like I, I'm just kidding. I love Oprah. Just making some jokes here. Just getting you laughing, you know, joy, getting, getting it going. Come on. I need us to lighten up a little bit here. This side of the room's doing well. This side, I see it coming. I see some laughter. Here he goes, smiles. Um, we got, we, we've, we've become way too discontented because we've been looking at other people. How does she effortlessly balance work-life balance since post on Instagram 24-7? I don't know, right? We're always comparing ourselves. Why can't I look that good on my fabulous vacation? How can I get a glamorous job like that? If we would stop, listen to this, next slide. Stop comparing the worst part of your week with everyone else's highlight reel that no one else is posting about their worst part of their week. And so what we're doing is we're comparing our worst with everyone else's highlight. And it's killing our joy. We're discontent. I think of the character Paul. I think Paul had the best attitude of anyone in Scripture. Anyone, right? He was arrested in prison. He's like, I'll just witness to this guy. He was like, I'm just going to write the Bible while I'm in prison. You know what I'm going to do while I'm in prison? I'm going to write a letter, and it's going to become the Bible. While I'm in prison, he was lashed, the 39 lashes that Jesus got that killed him five times. He said, I was beaten with rods. He was shipwrecked. And then after he was shipwrecked, he's like, I got bit by a snake. And this is the guy that said, rejoice. I say it again, rejoice. He was stoned. And now I'm not talking about recreationally. You're like, yeah, he got some relief. No, I'm talking about he was stoned, like pelted with, with stones, 
and he says this, everywhere I'm hard pressed, but I'm not in despair. I'm pressed down, but I'm not crushed. I'm left alone, but I'm not alone. I have nothing, yet I have everything. He, he, he knew how to have the best attitude, the best perspective. And he says this in Philippians 4. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. He goes, I've had the job, I've had, and I've had no job. I've had the, the relationships, I've had no relationships. I've had the friendships, no friendships. But I've learned the secret of being content in any and every season. Um, this past year for Ashley and I has been quite hard, to be honest. Um, Ashley's um, health has been just like chronic uh, stress. There's like her levels are low. I, don't, I hope you don't mind me sharing that. Um, stop right there. Not only that, it's just been a hard year. Um, it's been a hard year for many things. I don't know how to go into it all um, up here. I would just call it spiritual warfare, like a year of spiritual warfare. We're just feeling the enemy's attack. Um, and, atta- and then you know, there's places, you get these places, and you start to talk as a family. And, of course, what we all do in that time is we blame it on Chicago, right? It's like it's Chicago's fault. We must leave Chicago. So we began to process, like, gosh, we thought we'd be in Chicago all of our lives. What if, what if we're not supposed to be here anymore? What if we're supposed to move? And, and, our, and our, you know, we try to keep these conversations away from our children. I remember hours later sitting down and my daughter saying, you know, would you stay in Chicago for me? Would you stay in Chicago for me? You know, and in that moment, my wife's health didn't change. The spiritual warfare attacks didn't change. Nothing about my circumstances changed. But all of a sudden, I got a perspective from God's heart that he was saying something to me, that there was joy in the midst of the tragedy. There's joy in life and gratitude in the midst of the grind. What if there's gratitude in the grind, and what if the purpose is in the process? What if we could live lives that found contentment in any and every season, Miss Day? What if we were those kind of people? I believe there's a world needing those kind of people. So number one, discontent. Second thing that's stealing that we're walling off God's goodness and his joy from is just neglect. Uh, We've neglected the source of joy. We've neglected the source of joy. And and for many of you that are Christians, you know this and I know this. Any one of you could get up here and share this message that we should be praying in Scripture, spending time with the source of joy. And we wonder why our joy is lost because the source of joy we have not been spending time with. Now, There's a lot of ways I could go with this, a lot of practical tools I could give you, but I just want to share one source of joy that's very clear that we've neglected, and that's just the Holy Spirit. That all throughout Scripture, we see that the power and presence of the Holy Spirit is the source of joy. The third member of the Trinity is is always connected to joy. It says this in, in Galatians 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and what, church? Joy. That's the second thing mentioned, that the fruit of the Spirit is joy. Not only that, Jesus, next slide, and at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the, amen, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. So Jesus was full of joy through the Holy Spirit. That's how he experienced joy. And then his disciples got the the picture. They realized this, that and the disciples were filled with and with the, and so we see all throughout Scripture that we must be filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and, and this is something we've neglected. We think, oh, now that I've become a Christian, 
you know, I received the Holy Spirit. But yes, like, we need many feelings, church. We need to be filled with the Spirit again, church. We need to constantly, especially us who are leaders, to, to thinking that, oh, well, I can just get up here and do this talk on my own strength. Like, I can't get up here and do this talk on my own strength. I can't come up here and lead you, or you can't do anything. Like, I can, there's nothing I can say or words I can give you to help you see the strength of God's joy. We must be open to what the God's Spirit is doing. And all of us right now basically have a need to get drunk. <laughs> and when I say that as a metaphor, because we all have pain. Every single one of us in this room have pain. I have pain, you have pain. And, I, the pain, and we, we have a bottle to cope with that pain. It's not always, sometimes it's, it's, it's gambling, right? If I can just get enough money, if I can just take this risk, I'll no longer have pain. Some of us, it's like we're literally getting drunk. <laughs> we're, others of us, it's just binge watching Netflix till two in the morning. Oh, I got an extra hour. Let's do this tonight. But we're all coping with pain. I can't take away your pain, but I can give you a new way to get drunk. It says in Ephesians 5 that this is how Christians do not get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. That, that, that we are to be filled, like we have this pain in our life, and the only thing that's going to like help us with this pain is the fullness of God's Spirit. And so today, um, we're going to have prayer leaders at the end of service. We just want to pray that you would receive the fullness of the Spirit again. We want to pray over many of you today. And because some of you, God's like, this, there's this thing drawing you to that, and that's, that's the Spirit. He's saying, like, be open again. Let go of control. Surrender control and be filled with me. Amen? Amen. So we've neglected the Holy Spirit. Third thing is uh, that's stealing our, is just a loss of vision. We've had a loss of vision. I know from my life, uh, the moments I'm most depressed is when I've had a loss of vision. Like when I'm not excited about my purpose or what I'm pursuing. And there's like a loss of vision. Uh, there's a sense of a lack of purpose. Uh, Proverbs 29 says, When people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild, but whoever obeys the law is joyful. That we must get a vision from God of our life. That we need to reclaim and recenter on what God wants of our life. That we need to dream again of what he wants to do. Some of us have stopped dreaming. Um, I love this verse in Psalms 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Now that word dream, you look it up, in the Hebrew is, is often used to say restored health. Like we cannot have restored health unless we are dreaming of our meaning and purpose in this world. And what's even crazier is when the, for, for those who are new to the Bible, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, New Testament in Greek. When the Greek translated the Hebrew in the Septuagint, they used the same root word for Holy Spirit, paraclete, for the word dreamed. Mind blown that, that the word dreamed is the same word, root word for the paraclete, the comforter that Jesus would send to us, the Holy Spirit. Our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongues were songs of joy. And so um, it's time for us to, 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 for some of us to just give permission to dream again, for you to dream God-sized dreams again, that you have a creative God. Listen to this. I believe God didn't complete creation because we have such a creative God that he wants you and I, I'm convinced, so that we might have joy that comes by continuing to co-create with God. 
that God didn't complete creation on this earth so that we could have the joy of being co-creators, co-participants with him on this mission. To, to, and, the, and the thing that I believe as Monsieur as a whole we need to reclaim is the joy of heaven. And you're like, the dream of heaven. You're like, what is that? Go to the next slide. Luke 15. Bam mentioned last week the prodigal son uh, story. Right before that, it says this, that there is more what in heaven? Joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous in heaven straight away. That the joy of heaven is seeing people who do not know God restored. Broken people made whole. That's the joy of heaven. And so for many of us, God has made you uniquely with a purpose, with your best self. God wants to, you to bring yourself to this world through the power of the Spirit so that you could see broken people made whole. So that you could see people in bondage delivered, the people that don't know Jesus come to know him. That this we must reclaim, Monsieur Day. Amen? That we, we, that we are going into our workplaces dreaming of how we can participate and reclaim the Missio Dei, the mission of God. That we would reclaim this purpose. Now it's going to look different from all of us. And this does not happen by a straight line, by the way. It's, you don't find your vision in a straight line. It comes and goes. And it's, it's, life is far more exciting than straight lines. Amen? And so um, it's learning to live a life that matters. Finding our particular calling may be difficult at first, but when we do, finally, eventually, however difficult the way, we find our purpose. And like raindrops in a river, we become the raindrop in the river that's flowing towards God's restorative purposes. And so each of us, may we just be restored in our vision and have dreams again. Um, speaking of this, I, I was uh, running short on time. I'm going to cut some stuff out, but... Um, Ashley came home one day and um, she was late, like like late later than usual. I was like, "Where you been?" She's like, "Oh, I just been hanging out with Mr. Wong." I'm like, "Mr. Wong, who's Mr. Wong?" She's like, "Who's this 87 year old man?" I was like, "What are you talking about?" She goes, "Yeah, like um, every week I see this 87 year old man coming home, and he's walking to his apartment like this, and very slowly." And I pulled over and, and asked him if he needed a ride, and he got in the car, and he doesn't say hardly anything. He's the only thing I've gotten out of him for weeks now is my name's Mr. Wong, and he says one other thing every time. He says, I'll never forget you. <laughs> right? I'll never forget you. And I just want to encourage you people, those who feel like you have lost your vision in the season, those that are in the grind, you are making deposits in heaven right now on people's lives who are saying in eternity, I will never forget you. I will never forget you. Your, your impact, teachers, educators, these kids are looking at you saying, I will never forget you. People who are making a difference all across the city with your calling and your purpose and your services. God is, God's, these, there's, a, there's a kingdom in heaven growing and you are making deposits of heaven right now. Amen? Amen. Will the band come up as we close? And um, the last thing I just want to share, the fourth thing that robs our joy is rebellion. Rebellion against God's way. And for some of us, this is what's robbing our joy. We know it. And we've all done it. We've all gone astray. It reminds me of King David. You know, when he had the affair with Bathsheba, it says in the first verse that all the other warriors... 
went away to fight, but King David stayed at home. And I think there was a loss of joy that led to rebellion and a rebellion that led to a loss of joy. And the cycle just continued. But there was a day that David prayed this, the greatest psalm of repentance. He says, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, God, and uphold me with a willing spirit. And that's my prayer for us. For many of us who've, for some of you, you've um, you've gone astray. God's saying, I want to restore the joy of your salvation. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Would you guys...